presents The Brooke Taylor Show. Encounter, adventure, evangelize. And now your host, Brooke Taylor. So this is a show that I have been looking forward to for a long time. Six years or so ago, I think, I watched a documentary from International called The Desire of the Everlasting Hills. So the film tells the very real and raw story of three Catholics with same-sex attraction. And if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. I have seen it probably five or six times. I have shared it with my family. I have shared it with my older sons, friends. And to this day, I have not found anything quite like it that takes us into the heart the humility and the courage of what I observed in these three individuals, Rylene, Dan, and Paul. So I want to play a portion of the movie trailer of The Desire of the Everlasting Hills to set the tone for the guest you're about to hear today. Here's a preview of that film. Take a listen. There was a young woman in the choir group, and through a series of circumstances at a party, she kind of started paying attention to me. The lights... The way people dress, the music, the movie stars, I really thought we had it all. She was not in any way an object of sexual desire for me. You know, maybe this is who I am. Maybe she recognized something in me that I don't recognize in myself. This is like the untouchable subject. I couldn't keep up the facade anymore. There are a lot of reasons why I shouldn't be doing this person that I've been my whole life would have said, what are you going to get out of it? There's a need to connect. You, you've got to get this out. For me, this is my journey. Nobody else is going to have the identical experience. It is with great honor today that we will have a chance to hear Paul's story, where he was and where he is now. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you very much, Brooke. And I'm sure everybody tells you it's an honor to be in an interview with you because of thank all you. that you do. So thank you very much. Thank you. For me, this is an answer to prayer. The Desire of the Everlasting Hills came out in 2014. I've seen it repeatedly, as I mentioned, and a lot has changed in our world, even since that time when the film debuted. So in our conversation today, I want to get your thoughts on what's going on in our culture now, based on your experience, your faithful witness, your work, but first, uh, for those that don't know, I just was wondering if you might tell us your story. And I know in being very familiar with your story that for you, it starts with abuse. Is that right? It did. I was about six or seven years old when um, an older relative who was in his 20s, uh, I was staying at my grandmother's house and um, woke up in the middle of the night and I, he was touching me. I jumped out of the bed and ran into the hallway. I was just frightened to death. And um, it's much more involved than that. But I came back into the bed, and um, and that was the first time. But uh, he continued to do it. And then there were two other uh, older, uh, an older fellow, and somebody who's not that much old was not that much older than me. Be, all before the time I was 10 years old. And I, I never really thought about, about anything in, in, that, in that world, that sexual world, human sexuality, because I was too young to really understand it. And I didn't speak to anybody about it. And, um, and you weren't protected. You weren't protected, right? Because I know that you had 
a fractured relationship. It wasn't good with your dad, right? And one of your brothers as well? Both my brother and my father were terribly abusive. I, I tell people I lived in constant fear of being beaten to death or shot to death by my father and my mean, evil brother. He literally was mean and evil. And so my whole life as a child growing up was to go to school, do get good grades and go to college. And, and that kept me going. There was a light at the end of my tunnel because I knew there was another world out there. But the sexuality, the sexual part of it was a mystery to me. And I remember, I tell people that I remember the first time that I literally sexually attracted to a girl was someone who had failed several years. And, and so she was older than the rest of us, but she was in our class. And I remember being attracted to her in an excited way that in hindsight was sexual. But then the two situations just got all muddled. And also in hindsight, I believe I never really had a male figure in my life that I could look up to. My father wasn't a terrible person. It was probably, as we look back, bipolar, but in, in a very terrible way. And so I just always would try to hide from him whenever I can't, could find excuses to be in another part of the house or whatever. So I never had a male figure in my life. And also in school, I wasn't athletic. And so I didn't really fit in very well with the other fellows in, in school. I, like I said, I was a good student, but nobody prized that in the school I went to, you know, when you're, when you're a kid in elementary school and junior high. So, so in hindsight, I realized I never had a relationship with a man. And it seemed like, again, in hindsight, that I was really looking for affirmation. I think it's important to connect the dots because for all of us, we want to heal so that we can be fully alive and all that we are intended to be by God. And that part for a lot is just stuffed or maybe not acknowledged. I'd say for a lot of men as well. So I think it is interesting that your initial, often we hear the born this way theory, your initial romantic attraction was to a girl, but then there was so much confusion because of the the dysfunction and the abuse and so then that brings you to your adolescence. No one, none of your abusers were held accountable. As you're saying, you didn't really fit in. Everything that you, that you just said is absolutely true from my point of view today. A lot of people say they were born that way because as long as they remember, they were attracted to men. And when I think back, I was attracted to men. I admired men that I would see a, a very masculine student, you know, an athlete, a relative, had a masculinity about them, something that I felt that, I mean, I didn't analyze it, obviously, but something that attracted me to men in that, in that way. And, and I wasn't angry or upset that I had been sexually molested because I didn't even know to be angry. When it happened the second time, the third time, it felt good. So I think I was just very vulnerable. And as you said, at that age, our minds are going in so many directions, our understanding is so limited. And yes, we are very vulnerable. So in my teenage years, a couple incidents happened, one at a movie theater, 
where my mother had dropped me off in a movie theater and somebody sat next to me, an older fellow, and his knee was against mine. And I was like, I just froze the same way I did when I was a child in bed at my grandmother's house. And he touched me. I just froze. And then I jumped up, went to the bathroom and ran out the door. And then over the years, things would happen. I did get hit on. But the first time that I even knew what the word gay was, was when I say I stumbled across a gay beach. I was in Miami Beach. My aunt had a restaurant on Miami Beach. And I would work as a soda jerk in the morning for a few hours. and, And she just loved me and was the most wonderful person in my life practically at that age. She said, why don't you go to the beach in the afterwards? And I did that every day, but I stumbled upon a beach. These guys started talking to me and I was like, wow, I'm 15 years old and they're asking me questions. And I had no idea, but it was a gay beach. And, and you're getting attention too. The first time in my life that I got that sort of attention. So again, we don't have much time, but but what happened there was that I say I took off like a duck to water. Somebody invited me to their hotel. I was 15. He told me what to say in the lobby. So we spoke like he was my uncle and went to his room. And that was the beginning of at least 30 years of self-indulgence and seeking, seeking love in all the wrong places. So there you received affirmation, you received physical satisfaction, you know, all these things that it sounds like you had been, and, and acceptance. So in terms of the moral aspect, engaging in sex outside of marriage, engaging in gay sex, was there any sense that, oh, this is a sin or this isn't right? Or was that not even something that was on your radar? This may surprise you, but I love the Catholic Church. I received the sacraments, confirmation. So I really believe with all my heart, but I started to hear different things that God loves us no matter how we are. And it only took me less than a week to even think about God. And after that, when I was engaging in these sorts of activities, and I never looked back. I never went back to the, ch- to the church. And I became, and eventually I became a gay activist when I was still young in my 20s. As I tell people, marched up Fifth Avenue with at least 80,000 gay men and women and their supporters. And when we got in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral, we would scream and holler and swear. We ignored all the other churches, which I find in hindsight very interesting because they were all on the same page back in those days regarding abortion, homosexuality. But the Catholic Church, we stopped there, St. Patrick's Cathedral, and just made a fool of ourselves in a way and continued on. We hated the Catholic Church and we wanted it destroyed. And I say, I didn't really think why. It wasn't like we planned to scream and holler in front front of St. Patrick's Cathedral. But in hindsight, so much is in hindsight. That's why we all need to live old like Mother Angelica so that we can look back. (laughs) Yes. But, uh, But in hindsight, I believe that a lot had to do with the fact that the Catholic Church, that somehow subconsciously, we knew that there was truth there. It wasn't just that the Catholic Church was the biggest because all these other churches, like I said, are very big throughout the country and throughout the world. But yes, in hindsight, I think there was, it was because of the truth. Well, 
was found there. Perhaps. I'm going to play the devil's advocate because I, I'm I'm hearing the voices of of my friends and family who are in gay lifestyles, and to me, they would say, "Well, it's because the Catholic Church is intolerant, or they reject, they fundamentally reject me." And so that's where the anger comes in: is the Church represents all of those who have rejected or been intolerant, which we know isn't true because, as we will get into your story, it is an act of love to want healing and to work through these things and to want liberation from something that's not good. And, and again, it's the lifestyle goes hand in hand with a lot of other things. So, I think it's important to make that distinction. But what would you say to that? I was on their side. So, that's exactly what I would say. But you know what? Like I said, we went by all those other churches. I think there's a Presbyterian, Episcopalian. Episcopalians and Catholics were like this, you know, very close. All the same ideas. We didn't care about those churches to just to this day, you rarely hear anybody being upset at any of the other churches that were teaching the same thing. But today it's different. You know why they're not upset? Because everyone like Domino's changed the church in order to accommodate the culture and the Catholic church to be an example for the culture. But we want to be an example for the culture. That's what I would say. And I could say a lot more too, but about it. There you are in New York. So I know after after school, after you graduate, you head to New York. It was interesting because I was actually reading a doctoral thesis on the migration patterns of gay and lesbians. That's what I was reading. That's what it was called. And there was a quote cited from Worth. And the quote says this, city should be seen as a melting pot of races, peoples, and cultures and a most favorable breeding ground of new biological and cultural hybrids. It has not only tolerated, but rewarded individual difference, which I know that we've seen. And in New York, what, you know, in the 1970s, I mean, this was the Mecca. And from there, it seems like you just disappeared into that decadence. This cultural hybrid just suited you. Well, you know, it's amazing because there's so much about the culture and the church and what happened with the culture first. And then the church starts following it. It wasn't always that way. It was usually the other way around. But the, when I say the church, I should say the churches other than the Catholic Church. But yes, I became an international fashion model. I wanted, I wanted to be a, a teacher, a, prof- a college professor. But in my senior year, I started thinking about acting, went to New York. They said the hardest thing in New York to become an actor is to survive financially, so you should be a model. I never thought I could ever be a model. And, and I became an international fashion model. And most of, most of my life after being a model was involved with beauty, fashion. I was a promotion director of a top, the top men's model agency in the world and one of the top three women's model agencies at that time. And so suddenly I was in the middle of everything. And what I want to say to my brothers and sisters out there with same-sex attraction, I was never discriminated against. I was given a privilege. I was an exceptional case. And people would bend backwards, including people in the Catholic Church when I came back much later, as they do now, bend backwards to make sure that I feel comfortable. So, yes, I was part of the movement of sexual freedom. I knew, you know, I, I went to all these places with famous people that Gloria Steinem and all these other people would be there. And, and it was where my mindset was. And there was no turning back, never thought about God, never felt guilty, very happy. I was never depressed. So I had the world by the tail, except for one thing. 
two things. One would be God first, and secondly would be unsatisfied hunger for love. And even though I'd been with thousands of men, literally, over those years, it was never enough. No matter how famous they were, how attractive, how wealthy, it lasted just for a very short time. And then I had to find more because that wasn't enough. I want to bring up something that I don't think is talked about a whole lot. And even in instances where there's monogamy and just a partner where they stay together, because when I have these discussions often, that will be what's raised is, hey, I know people and I love people who have been in long-term monogamous relationships. They are healthy. In fact, they're probably healthier than, you know, this couple you know. However, CDC talks about this, and this is a fact that, and it made me think of it when you said that you were happy, is that many in the LGBTQ life there is a propensity to abuse drugs and alcohol. They engage in riskier sexual behavior. They have higher rates of suicide. I'm pulling this from the CDC. It says studies have shown that when compared with the general population, gay and bisexual men, lesbian and transgender individuals are more likely to use alcohol and drugs, have higher rates of substance abuse, not withhold from alcohol and drug use and continue heavy drinking into later life. And of course, there's also the pornography aspect as well. I want to bring that up because if there is such contentment here, what is going on with that? Well, again, what you wrote is 100% true. What, what I was saying that I was happy, and many people are, are happy in the lifestyle. They think that, you know, this is who I am. I am what I am. And so they have a reason to be happy. They're living the life that they have chosen in spite of, despite what their parents, what their church, what their uncles and grandmothers told them. They're living like they want to live. So they're very happy. But I think it all comes back. And it isn't just for people with same-sex attraction. It's really for people who are thinking first about self-affirmation, self-gratification. and Self. Yeah. Self, Yes. So if, you know, this wife isn't the most beautiful anymore, or I'm getting bored, hey, divorce, everybody gets divorced. So there's that, what is this love doing for me? As a, and that's how I was. What is this love doing for me? And I believe that the drugs and, and the activity, especially for men, because for men, there's no complementarity. A, a woman, and this is 100% true, a woman thinks differently than a man in so many ways that you get six guys together, all they're doing is watching the game, get six women together, and they just solve the problems of the world. So there are differences, and, and there's that communication, and a woman softens a man's libido, I believe, as far as libido for, for wandering. So then what is it? It was that I need more. Okay, I have this good-looking lover, famous, wealthy, rich, were, you know, the talk of the bar or the town or the party, but I need more. So somebody tells you about, people will laugh, but they tell you about this little drug, marijuana, then it goes, you hit hash, and then, oh, LSD, and this was my route. Marijuana, hash, LSD, and eventually meth, cocaine, crack, all the way. And so I think that's where the drugs come in. And there's no limit. If somebody says you can eat and eat until you want to burst, then 
then you're not going to leave the table for hours. Well, the same thing with this. And again, I'm not saying anything negative about people with same-sex attraction. And again, there's a similarity between people who self, who are, I mean, it's the same thing as, as uh, heterosexuals who are self-indulgent and are, are looking for love in a different way than perhaps they should be. So yes, and of course, we didn't mention the AIDS crisis, which right. more than 90% of my friends died of AIDS, and probably a good many of them have AIDS right now, but thank the Lord for the new medications, et cetera, that came out in the late 90s. They're going to live the rest of their life with AIDS Paul, in that so must, many ways. that must just stop you in your tracks when you when you think of all the partners that you've had and again this is what like 70s 80s when it really was the the apex of the AIDS epidemic and that you've been spared I mean does that just astound you well more than 90 percent of the people that I knew or lived like I did my friends especially have died of AIDS it's in the film I was in a relationship with a young man who was several years younger than me we were lovers. We lived together in a one-bedroom apartment, sleeping in the same bed. We were intimate. And he was one of the first 900 people in the entire United States to be diagnosed with AIDS. And he had only come out a few years earlier before I met him. And I had been out much longer. I traveled around the world, had hundreds more partners than he did at that point. And he died a terrible death after enduring long periods of excruciating pain. And that still... For a few minutes, I mean, for a few months, for at the beginning, we still slowed down when the AIDS, we started to slow down when the AIDS epidemic hit. But before you know it, by the end of the 80s, it started in the beginning of the 80s, by the end of the 80s, we were back to doing everything we were, maybe a little more carefully, but it didn't stop us. We knew that it could kill us and it didn't stop us, just like the drugs. We knew that it could kill, they could kill us. Why do you think that, because I hear this a lot, that when I'll use the example of men are about to you know, engage in gay sex. So often drugs have to be a component. I mean, if this, is, if this is all good and I'm just doing what makes me happy and there's nothing wrong with it, why does that have to be a component? And like you said, it escalates and it's a gateway to more and more. It, it is. And in many cases, I would go with fellows and I became like that eventually, that the drug became more important than the sex. If somebody in a bar, uh, you know, or you're talking to them in an alley and they have a certain kind of drug that you like, that enhances the excitement, not the sex per se, but the excitement and the imagination, which then runs wild. So you're on this drug and you're thinking of sex and it takes you from my first lover, oh, please, can I just find one man that will love me and be wonderful, to the most twisted ideas and sexual behavior because the drugs help bring you to the next level of darkness, per se. I remember something that you said in the film about being in Rome and you were cruising for men and you came across, I think it was St. John Paul II on Good Friday at the Colosseum. And at the time, it actually did cause you to stop in your tracks for that moment. So it sounds like I'm going back over your life. You had as a young man that thought of you admired the Catholic Church and that pull of something beautiful, something pure. And then here you are deep in this lifestyle and something stops you in your, your tracks. Because I think if I remember you said at that moment, your libido just completely went away and you just it was almost like a cold shower where you just said, okay, what am I doing? And you just you couldn't continue what your pursuit was. 
Exactly. And I had no idea. I had forgotten about Good Friday. I'd forgotten about Easter because I was in Italy, not with family. And going out to, to hopefully meet someone, cruising around the Coliseum, because I read in my little gay handbook that that's where you can meet men. And there was, there was this crowd, and I thought, I have to get through this crowd, maybe the other side of the Coliseum, because nobody's going to be cruising with all these people. There in front of me, like 20 feet or so, was Saint this, well, he was Pope John Paul, and holding this giant cross, he was totally dressed in white. And I just, it was like I saw a vision from heaven. I turned around and went back to my hotel. And then the next e- that evening, I put that out of my mind and went out and um, met somebody in a bar. So were there moments where you considered faith, where you tried to go to church, or were you just basically an atheist because an atheist. it was hard to reconcile? Okay. I justified, in hindsight, I justified it in my mind that there was no God. All of us, like I said, we were no longer, gay was no longer what we were. It was who we were. The one thing standing between us and doing what we wanted to do, our family couldn't stop us. They didn't even know where we were half the time or what country we were even in. Our friends encouraged us. And so the only thing that could stop us would be belief in a God. And Mm -hmm. that's why when we were marching up Fifth Avenue, most of us were atheists. And we not only atheists, to be atheist is one thing, but to hate the Catholic Church and to hate Christians in general. Christianity, we didn't hate people who were Buddhist or Hindu or it was the it's Christianity. But above that, the Catholic Church. It was almost well, metaphysical, this, you know, when yeah. you look back. Well, then Mother Angelica rocks your world. So take us into that because once she grabbed hold of your heart, she hasn't let go. So take us into that encounter. This is a famous story. This is a world famous story. But for those that don't know, and even if you do, I love hearing it every time you tell it. So if you could take us into how she changed your life. Before Mother Angelica, there were incidents like the one at the Coliseum, like my lover, Jerry dying from AIDS, and certain things happened, but I just pushed them out of the mind that were spiritual. There was something spiritual about them, but I pushed all that out of my mind and kept going. That was decades earlier that I had ran into the, uh, well, Jerry had died decades earlier. But one day I was, came home from a hard night of partying and uh, in California, where I live, and I was channel surfing, as I always do. It was like early in the morning, couldn't fall asleep, so I, I would always channel surf. I had done drugs. And I came across this vision on the television screen, and it just, I started to laugh. And I called my lover at the time into the bedroom where I was, and I said, look, look, you've got to see this. you got to see this. What? We laughed. And I said, look, she had a patch over one eye. She was neatly tucked into an old-fashioned nun's habit. And, and she had this funny smile. I mean, her distorted face, but, she, we, but still she laughed. And so we because made Because she had had her. a stroke. Yes. Because, so here I am making fun of a stroke victim. Now, how nice is that in anyone's book? But it was normal for me at that time. And so I said, look at this. She looks like some feisty religious pirate of pen, penance. And I said, she reminds me of those old mean nuns when I was a kid. I never knew a mean nun in my life. But in my brain, because everybody always talked about old mean nuns, Catholic nuns. So he left the room 
And I went to change the channel and she said something so profound and so moving that it jolted me, it literally jolted me. I turned the channel anyway, I switched the channel and forgot about her. I'd never seen her before. And remember, I used to go through the channels all the time. Suddenly over the following weeks and months, she started popping up. And the second time I remember, I called my friend, my lover into the room and we laughed again. But then I would get little, hear little snippets of what she was saying. After a while, I realized that, I mean, I would always turn her off, but I always, I started to realize that there was nothing she ever said that I didn't completely agree with, which was pretty amazing considering my lifestyle and my mindset at the time. And that she represents the enemy. She represents yes, yes. This, this judgmental church who is condemning you. When you actually listen to what she had to say, that wasn't the truth at all, it sounds like, where there was like a kindred spirit, a connection. Well, I never, yes. And unlike the Catholic Church in general, even from the beginning, I made fun of her, but I was never offended by anything that I heard her say. And I didn't dislike her. She was just funny. And, and by the way, she isn't the most gentle, she doesn't uh, deliver, she didn't deliver her messages with the most gentle manner. <laughs> she was direct, straightforward, and then a big laugh and a giggle. And, and so, real. And oh, real. do we miss her? Yes. <laughs> and so it wasn't like being sensitive. We're, we're sensitive, we're supposed to be, and, we, and the Catholic Church preaches that we should be sensitive, compassionate, and understanding with people with same-sex attraction and with everyone else. But, but it wasn't, she wasn't a fake compassion. She was real. And so I started to watch her. And goes on, Dolores Hope once was on her show. I didn't know who the woman was, but it was the most beautiful conversation about dog, Dolores Hope's dogs. And um, I finally found out at the end of the show that it was Bob Hope's wife. But I started thinking, I was embarrassed to be watching her, but I started thinking, none or no none. I felt that this woman knew, spoke the truth about spiritual truth and knew. Well, the funny thing is, I, I think in the movie, I've heard you say this, that it was almost like reverse pornography because you were sneaking watching her. You were kind of like hiding. You didn't want anyone to know. And, and so you were getting these nuggets that were just kind of awakening you, like taking you out of the stupor and waking you up to something deeper and real. Yes, yes. I started watching her in secret. I, I may have mentioned in the movie, and I would switch to channels so that if my lover came in, he wouldn't see that that was what I was watching. So I was hiding her. And so I had to go back to the Catholic Church. You know, she, she awakened something that was inside of me that I didn't know even existed. And her words, her wise words point at me to Jesus and to his church. So I had to go back to the church and see what it was like, but I drove 20 miles out of my way to go to a church where no one would see me because I was living in a small gay community at the time. And that was the beginning of what brought me here today. Taking a quick break to thank our sponsor, Select Tours International. If you long for pilgrimage sometime in the future, I invite you to go with the industry leader for sacred travel, my friends at Select International. And right now, book any trip 
with Select that departs either in 2021 or next year in 2022, and you will get $500 off per couple or friend or spouse. We have three trips planned between 2021 and 2022, one to the Holy Land at the end of October with Father John Michael Paul, then in June, so next summer, 2022, traveling to Oberammergau for the world-famous Passion Play and visiting Munich and Paris and Lourdes and Normandy. Then in November, near Advent of 2022, we will go back to the Holy Land. Such a fantastic time to save now and travel later when you know it's safe. But again, this rare offer will end on February 28th at the end of the month. All you need to do to take advantage is reserve your spot for any of the Select International trips that I mentioned, and you can visit my page on the Select International website to not only see the details about the incredible trips, but also reserve your spot and save that $500 until the end of the month. Again, details are at selectinternationaltours.com. That's selectinternationaltours.com, and I will also put a link in the show notes. Now back to my conversation with Paul Darrow. Wow. And saved my life, literally saved my life. What you were saying earlier, you know, I'm not a young man. And a lot of people say, well, you know, sure, it's easy for him. He's older now. He's not, you know, in his 20s. But as I tell people, alcoholism, drug addiction, and sexual addiction get stronger as you get older. It doesn't just disappear. Your mind never gives that desire up. And yet I became chaste. It took months and prayer. They say, you know, we pray the gay away. Well, we don't pray the gay away. We pray to the Lord to give us guidance and to be able to walk in the footsteps for which we were created. And that was around 10 years ago. And I've been 100% chased since. I was into porn. Wow. I stopped drugs immediately. So mm. it isn't my power that did that. It wasn't my power that brought me back to the church. It was, Mother Angelica was an instrument. She is my savior, but my savior really is Jesus Christ through Mother Angelica. So that brings us to today. What do you say to the critics who say, well, the last place that should be saying anything about this is the Catholic Church because we have had, we still have a lot of reform and work to do. This is such a painful topic, but you are the boots on the ground. And what's your response to that? Well, you know, I was going to mention how we are silenced and they would love people like me and like you to just get a big piece of tape and make us go quiet. But like Mother Angelica would never go quiet, no matter what anyone told her, both within and outside of the church. They, were, I mean, they even shot at the nuns when they moved down to Alabama. But I would say we're, we're speaking with love. We're not telling you how you have to live. If you can say that Babies should not be told that they're a boy or a girl until they were, are four years old, which is, there's a group of people who are saying that. They want to call them they bees, they bees instead of babies. Uh, you're doing it. So the Catholic Church is not discriminating against anyone. And I didn't need to sneak into the Catholic Church because the priests or the Catholics were going to be upset with me. I had to sneak into the, into the church because... I lost clients who found out I was Christian. Even before they found out I was Catholic, they said, you believe in that God that butchered his son? How could you? I, you can't be my friend. I can't, I can't work with you. And so we're being silenced. 
And so for people to tell us to shut up and not speak about this, now getting back to the church's issues, humans are sinners. 100% of everyone I've ever met, and I believe that 100% of everyone in the world is a sinner. And yes, there are clergy members, there are administrators, there are people within the church and outside of the church and Catholics that sit in the pews next to us who are big sinners and do heinous things. But that's not the church. That is not the essence of Christ's church. And so it makes me, a lot of people say, well, aren't you going to leave the church? Are you thinking about going to another church other than the Catholic church because of the child abuse that we see? And it's like, no, this made me stronger. This, people who are doing that are not what the church is. So it made me love my faith more. And the people who are going back to the church, the people who are going to church and despite COVID, they're stronger than ever. And the young seminarians totally on fire for the Lord and for the truth. Yes. Uncompromisingly so. And that's where I find such hope is because we don't need to compromise. The truth undiluted is what we need. We need that. It's so powerful and beautiful. And of course, the world, the culture wants to twist and distort. And this is why your story, this is why the reality of the beauty of being invited into a greater truth, which is purity, which is virtue, is is so necessary. And I want to ask you in coming home, coming and having this reversion to the church. And then you mentioned about losing clients and it wasn't it wasn't your Christian family that necessarily judged or canceled you, but it was the, the gay community. What was that like? Did you have to come out <laughs> to the community and say, guess what, guys? And what was that response like? Well, you know, you mentioned coming out to the community, coming out to my mother, to the people I worked with, with at a large company at one point after modeling to 100% of everyone I knew, they welcomed me into, or not welcomed me because they weren't living the lifestyle, but they encouraged me to do, you know, you're a wonderful man, God loves you. And that was it. No one ever scolded me for anything that I've done until I came back to the Catholic Church. And so so I didn't come out. I was our, I mean, I, I was our, everybody knew me as, as a, a gay man. I use the word, the terminology, uh, a person with same-sex attraction, but that's a whole other world uh, because of the right. definition of gay, what the definition of gay does not mean to me. But yes, it, it was, I, I didn't tell anyone. I was very, very secretive, but they sort of found out little by little. And eventually I left California because I realized that that was not a place for somebody like me to be anymore. So, so in your, you know, telling everybody, it sounds like you did, you know, like you're a traitor or you lost friends or was it, do you still keep in touch with friends? I'm sure, you know, your circle was so, was so large and broad. You know what? Or not I, really. One of my best friends, uh, he was my employer first. I, I worked at an international company and he was older than me and, I reached out to him and somehow he must have gotten word. He still lives in New York City. I don't know if it was from Facebook or however, that how I live now and would never return my phone calls ever. I've had friends who, who I reached out to, people that I hadn't spoken to in 20 years, 15 years. And often they would say things like, don't tell me you're against abortion. 
I can't. And, and so I have tried to have a conversation with them. And it's like, I can't speak to you anymore. And they hang up. And, I mean, and literally, that's, that's how it is. That's the irony of tolerance, because there's just such a unilateral severing if you don't adhere to this ideology. And I know it's not across the board. I do not mean to paint a broad brush stroke, but this was the reality of your experience. And I've heard from others as well. So that again, conversations and compassion and charity are so needed. And these are not things that come from very often the other side, because when you're dealing with an atheistic ideology, that outline just isn't there. And I think the other thing is I have friends and family that I dearly love, and no matter what I say or how I offer my heart to them that are in a gay lifestyle, and I ask for their heart in return, I want to hear from them. I want to understand and dialogue with them and show love for them, but they believe that my faithfulness to the church, to her teaching, and to the gospel message is a rejection of them wholesale as a human person, and that just isn't so. And I think it goes back to, and I know this will be offensive to some, but I, I, I believe in the analogy what the psychotherapist was saying in the earlier quote that I shared about if someone is suicidal or has something that is going to be detrimental to them health-wise, you don't just affirm that. You explore it. You work through it. And it's proven. It's it's not to say if someone has a same-sex attraction that that they should be rejected, but there's probably other things going on additionally, like we talked about, like drug use or abuse in some form or fashion or a mental health issue that needs to be given respect. And so how do you address that when people say, I don't even want to hear what you have to say because you just reject me as a person? I think you kind of touched on it earlier when you said being gay wasn't what you were, it was who you were. I mean, this was inextricably linked to you your identity. Yes. And if they give me the opportunity to, to have a conversation with them, and that's the issue, they really don't. It's just like, don't talk to me about abortion. Don't talk to me about homosexuality. I know my friends in, in Hollywood tell me that you can say that you're pro-life and get less flack than if you say that you're a Christian who believes in a man and a woman. You believe in traditional marriage uh, with one man and one woman. So usually I don't get that opportunity too much, but if they will listen. And, and when I do get that opportunity is with people from the Encourage ministry. Courage is a, a ministry for men and women like me who suddenly they feel in their heart that they want to return to the Catholic Church. They want to change their lifestyle. And nobody goes and tells them they have to do that. But I was looking for someone that, with whom I could speak about, hey, I, I, I'm a sex addict, but I want to be a Catholic. And so it's about chase friendships and all of that. But there's also a ministry called Encourage, E-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E, which are parents and friends of people with same-sex attraction. And so often their children tell them, if you don't come to my gay wedding with my new boyfriend, I, you're never going to see me again. And, and so these parents, these friends, they're hurt, they're devastated that the person that they love most in the world, their own flesh and blood, their child won't even speak to them just because they won't go to a ceremony that they don't agree with or they don't want to be a part of. And, and so I tell parents, you know, the main thing is just focus on telling them that you love them. Do not react to the way they're living in any way, don't, don't put it down, don't 
at the beginning, until you can have a relationship, just say, you know, I love you. Uh, I want you to be happy. Of course, you know that this is not the lifestyle that I would choose for you, but I'm still your mother and not, or father and nothing has changed. You are still the same person. Nothing in my feelings towards you has changed. The problem is that too many people think they think that it's okay to live however they want and that God will accept it because it's just love. It's just about love. But they don't seem to understand that just because they changed their lifestyle doesn't mean that God changed his opinion about how he thinks they should be living or what they should become in this world. There is that conflict, but again, give us a chance. Give us a chance and listen to us. And, 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 and I tell these parents, just be great examples, be good Christian examples of love, acceptance, compassion. And, and it's not just, again, people with same-sex attraction. Parents today are losing so many children because of drugs, because of fentanyl, because of opium, opiates. And, and so, so, again, it's not the only sin. I mean, we don't even think of it as a sin. Being homosexual is not a sin. Having same-sex attraction is not a sin in the Catholic Church. Everybody says, outside the church, says that we are saying that, you know, they're a product of a sinful soul. But we're not. I mean, we don't call people that. It's, it's how we act. We just want, we want to bring people to conversion. That's our goal. And if you don't want to come to conversion, we're not trying to change you. We're trying to con con the conversion to Christianity, not a conversion to become straight when you're gay or anything like that. We just want to bring you back to God. Well, that's, that's what I'm at. You know, what I'm wondering, what I'm praying about is what is going to I guess we never know. It could be a nun wearing a patch. It could be someone going and, you know, seeing a procession, and a, a Eucharistic procession that, that stops them long enough to consider. And this is for all of us across the board. Examine our conscience. How are we living? This is the challenge. Like you brought up the children, the child, the son, for instance, who would say, if you don't come to my wedding, I'm done. You don't accept me and we're not talking. But what should we do? What could we do in those moments? Is there anything that we can do? Well, you hit it on the head. You hit the nail on the head. There's very little we can do. I, I tell people, you know, when I was 15, 25, 35, there wasn't a thing in the world that somebody could say to me. I didn't think. I mean, if they approached me, a friend or a street evangelist, it would be go in one ear and out the other. But the Holy Spirit is there. It really has to be the Holy Spirit. But in the meantime, if somebody that you're close with in your family, a family member or friend, they're, they're only going to remember, they're only going to remember in the conversation of what you said that upset them. They're never going to remember the good things and your good, your goal to try to help them and show them love. And to point people to places like Courage International, because that is an apropos name, I think now more than ever, to be able to have the courage to be honest, beautifully share your witness, your faithfulness, your testimony. And so, I guess as we kind of conclude here, what would you offer for the laity and people in the church that really see this as an issue and in their own parishes don't know where to start? Courage International is, is indeed a wonderful apostolate. If they know someone, the priests have a great opportunity in confession, during confession, because they know if somebody is just confessing because they're just trying to get guilt off their mind, or if they really are having a problem and so for the priest out there, even though you mentioned laity, but for the priest, that's very important because 
I didn't know where to go. Whom would I talk to about this issue? And so Courage International, which is Courage, Courage, RC, for RomanCatholic.org. And for people who have children and friends who, and, and they don't quite understand, or they're hurting because of the way their children are treating them ever since they came out, it's EncourageRC.org. What I would tell them is, again, to just be supportive and loving and don't treat them any differently than you would have before you knew that they had same-sex attraction. And after a while, the Holy Spirit will be there for them at some point. And, and so many people, especially people in Encourage, are so encouraged by my life because they say, Paul, after what you've been through and the most glamorous lifestyle in the world, turned against the Catholic Church, and you've become chaste, and your whole life now is in order to make up for the way you've been living, and again, not because I had same-sex attraction, but because of the way I live, then there's hope for my 18-year-old daughter or son. And so the prayers are very, very important. Amen. I know a lot of people ask for a statement from you specifically after Pope Francis came out and there was a quote after a documentary that aired about his stance on civil unions. That was a bit confusing. I have the quote, but just it because it caused a massive global ripple. And of course, the mainstream media is looking at it as almost a signal that this could imply a reversal of church teaching, that marriage is between one man and one woman. And that did not mean that. And it was a not it was not an ex cathedra statement, but he said homosexual people have the right to be in a family. They are children of God and have a right to a family. No one should be thrown out or be made miserable over it. What we have to have is a civil union law. That way they are legally covered. I supported that. Well, what you just read, everything was perfect until the last line, which was, we need civil unions. And I entered into a civil union when I was living in California. And there is confusion. And there's been a lot of backpedaling, what the Pope really meant. And he only meant because of legally protecting property. Legally protecting property is a whole nother world without having to talk about civil unions. So that's where the confusion came in. And I'm not criticizing the Pope. And I'm not criticizing anyone throughout this interview. I'm not really criticizing anyone. But the problem is, again, how it impacts people who are hearing mixed messages. It's almost like an abortion. Too many people out there who are Catholics, who are saying, well, under certain circumstances, and it's not the most important problem in the Catholic Church. Same thing about same-sex attraction. They say, well, it's, we shouldn't even have to talk about same-sex attraction. But they're forgetting it isn't the same-sex attraction that's the issue. It's where that same-sex attraction can lead you. And the, Secularists will say, well, why fight it? I mean, it's healthy, it's normal, just do what makes you happy. You hear that a lot, right? That's the mantra of the culture. Just do what makes you happy. If it's two consenting adults. Well, it's about the self-indulgence. Going back to when I was a young boy and, and a teenager, it becomes a life of self, self-indulgence. And so there are people who will say, it makes me happy. It makes me happy. And if they're, if they're speaking to Catholics, they'll say things like, well, if it's love, how could God possibly have a problem with that if they're, if they're speaking to Christians? 
But if that's really their mindset, again, I, it, it sounds defeative, but it really isn't. We are speaking to the people who need to hear the gospel, but if they don't want to hear it, it's like we can just wish them well and, again, pray for them, because we can't really, to counter that, if you're an atheist or you don't really have much faith at all, it's going to fall on deaf ears and there's really nothing you can say. Mother Angelica wasn't being sensitive and extra caring and bending backwards when I heard her say whatever she was saying. But it was the moment. And so prayer, we have to leave it in the Lord's hand as, as Christians and people who believe. I heard you in an interview recently, and there was something that really moved me. You, you read, I guess it was a quote, but a very long quote that you said that you have on your boy's bedroom wall. And it, it so moved me. And it went something like this. Every man at some time in his life must face overwhelming odds and have the courage to live valiantly. I believe the next line was, when a man takes his stand to become what the Lord intended for him to be, he has begun an exciting adventure. And the most exciting adventure in my life was when I had the courage to take a stand and to begin on on the journey that I am now on. See, oh, you're going to make do, me cry. People do listen when you talk. Can you believe <laughs> Thank I memorized you. Well, that? I'm telling you, it brought tears to my eyes. That's why I like those things, you know, hanging up on their closet wall in just hearing you realizing how it applies in all of our journey in a different way, this pilgrimage that we're on. We're hobos, we're homeward bound, and you never know what the next mile is going to bring. So I think that having those truths, those existential anchors that really, they, they tether us here, but they lift us up to really what we were made for, which is greatness. We're pre-recording this, and uh, as we do this, it's the Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas, and I was reading his story and the tremendous amount of devastation he suffered as a young man. His parents died, his siblings died, he went and lived with an uncle, his uncle died. And instead of taking this trauma and loss and sorrow and allowing that to swallow him, he changed the world through and because the glory of God. And this is what I think is so exciting about the Christian life. Look at the videos of Mother Angelica. You know, allow yourself to have an adventure with our Lord, this hound of heaven. That is truly where we find the virtue and the strength and the grace that we need. And you have lived that in witness to that, which has inspired me so much. And I know countless people, I don't think you'll ever know the side of heaven, how many people that you've helped. But just as we conclude here, you said that you do hear from people all over the world. And that's why I think it's so important to get your story out. You are not reprogrammed or you know, put in any sort of a psychotherapy that said, pray the gay away, like you said. This is truly you falling in love, your first love. And I think the world needs more of that. About that exciting adventure that has begun. I told you I was happy my whole life, but I didn't have joy. And this exciting adventure has given me more joy than I ever even knew existed. Praise be to God. That's what we hope for. Okay, Paul, how can we pray for you and how can we support and and follow what you're doing? Well, your prayers are very much appreciated. And I'm on Facebook, Paul Darrow, and um, you can always contact me through the Courage Ministry as well. 
Everlasting Hills. And I also want to link people up to the movie because it's in several different languages now. Isn't that right? Nine languages. That's why I hear from people all over the world. You will keep in touch and we will keep you in our prayers. Thank you so much for your witness, your testimony, and your faithfulness. And thank you. One of those conversations that stays with you. My thanks, my gratitude to Paul for sharing his story, for living a powerful witness of fidelity, of mercy, of grace. And if you have not yet seen The Desire of the Everlasting Hills, I really encourage it. The movie's actually free, and what I'll do is link it directly to you in the show notes. You can access that right there. And you can find our full interview, the video version of our conversation on my YouTube channel. And remember, if you haven't subscribed yet, please do. It's the Brooke Taylor Show channel on YouTube. And we have two rosaries to give away for new subscribers. And that's from my friends at Rugged Rosary. And these are heirloom, heavy-duty, beautiful, two historic replica World War I rosary battle beads. And I'm really excited to give that away. So that's going to go to two new subscribers of the YouTube channel. Winners will be announced on next week's show. And on that show, joining me will be journalist from Rome, Brie Dale. And we're going to talk about everything from censorship to big tech and finding the truth in a post-truth media age, so much more. And a big thank you to my producer, Mark Cumming, for his dynamic skills and quick work. Mark is a producer extraordinaire and wears many hats. So for anything that you may need, please check him out at cominghomestudio.com. God bless you. Until next time, friends, peace and love.